Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So here's our question for this afternoon. What are your eating habits? Now the question is not so much what you eat, but who do we eat? Who do you sit next to at school dinner? Which colleagues do you choose to have lunch with? Who do you invite round to your flat for a meal? Here at church, who do you chat to over coffee and cake before the meeting? Who do you sit with over at Food at Fives? Turns out who we eat with shows far more about us than we might realize. In fact, it reveals what we really think about God's agenda for the world. Now, today's passage, I'm going to give you an executive summary. Here's what happens. There's a hungry man who refuses to eat, but then he does eat. But others who've heard about him eating are really grumpy about it. 
And so he has to explain himself why he ate with them. And as he does that, what he is showing is that the heart of all this is the work of God. Now, Acts 11, which we've just heard read, very much goes together with Acts 10, which we looked at last week. There we saw that God brought this Roman army officer, Cornelius, and Peter the apostle together so that Cornelius could hear what Peter had to say. There's a summary in the first verse of chapter 11. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So here we are. There are the Gentiles, that is those not from Israel, not the Jews, and they are represented by this man Cornelius. Do you remember what they were told? The summary came back in verse 36. Good news of peace through Jesus Christ, that the Jesus is Lord of all, so he's judge of all, and so there is forgiveness available to all who believe. That's what he needed to hear. Notice also this first verse speaks of apostles. That's the authoritative messengers of this message from God, but also of brothers. Did you notice that in the first verse? This family language turns out to be key, as we'll see. So the Gentiles, they've heard, they've received this message from God through his apostles. But not everyone is happy. Verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So the issue, Peter, eating with uncircumcised people, that is Gentiles, non-Jews, like Cornelius. Now we've seen in our series, this book of Acts is about God's global agenda of the spread of his kingdom to the ends of the earth. So why then are we now taking time to consider who Peter does and doesn't eat his meals with? Because as we'll see here in Acts and the rest of the New Testament makes the same clear, this issue is vitally important to the spread of the gospel, the growth of the kingdom. Who you and I eat with is at the heart of God's work in the world. So let's see then as we begin the work of God. So Peter is being accused in verse 3 and then the rest of the passage is his response. Did you notice it's packed with references to the mighty God at work? You may have heard them as that passage was read. Let me run through them very quickly as we go through. So verse 5, Peter is put in a trance and receives a vision from God. Then we're told in verses 7 and 9, Peter hears a message from God. Verse 9 speaks of God's work in making clean. Then verse 12, the vision is over, but again, the Spirit of God then speaks to Peter. Then verse 13, look, Peter hears of God at work in sending an angel, which was last week with Cornelius. Then verse 15, the Holy Spirit fell. Verse 16, the word of the Lord Verse 17, the gift of God. Again, what God is doing. Verse 17, again, speaks of standing in God's way when God is at work. Verse 18, God is at work granting repentance. So it's an exciting chapter. God is at work in all sorts of ways from start to finish. But what then is God doing? 
And it turns out there are, in fact, two complementary aspects of this work of God running all the way through this passage. We're going to look at each in turn. First of all, look here at the work of God in Gentiles, the work of God in Gentiles. So these two quite long chapters, why has God gone to such lengths to get Peter to Cornelius? Well, look at verse 14. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. That's why Peter had to get to Cornelius, so that Cornelius and his household could be saved. Saved, of course, by God. One day, remember last week we heard, we will all stand before Jesus the judge, the living and the dead. And we need to be saved now from being on the wrong side of that judgment then. And that is what God was offering to Cornelius and his household through Peter. So that's the work of God with Gentiles. But there's more to this work of God for the Gentiles. Verse 15, Peter says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Now this again is a big deal. In the Old Testament, God had promised that one day he would send his spirit. Israel was very much looking forward to receiving this spirit. But it turns out receiving the spirit of God is for Gentiles as well. There's more to this work of God for the Gentiles. Look at verse 18. To the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Gentiles like Cornelius had repented, that is turned to Jesus as Lord Therefore, they too had received this life that matters now and into eternity. Notice, it's a very little word, but it's key in verse 18, the word also. That is the point Peter is making. As for Israel, now with Christ, so also for the Gentiles with Christ. Notice again, then, what Peter says about that reception of the Spirit uh, in verse 15, when he says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Just as on us at the beginning. Again, Peter is making this link. Do you remember back at Pentecost, the Spirit fell on the Jews? Now just the same for Cornelius. It's explained a bit more. If you look back to the last chapter, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who'd come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So do you see again, there were tongues at Pentecost back in Jerusalem and now here again, as the gospel reaches the Gentiles through the apostles, there are tongues showing again God at work. It's all dawning on Peter what this is showing. He's realizing, look at verse 17. Peter says, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? The point is, nothing more was needed for these Gentiles. To enter the kingdom, they didn't have to become Jews or do something different. All they needed to do was the same as what a Jew needed to do, to repent and believe in Jesus. And the response of those who heard Peter was to glorify God. Verse 18 again. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to all the Gentiles also, 
has God granted, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They fell silent. Presumably, they've stopped complaining about what Peter had done. And actually, on the contrary, they glorified God. Because this is thrilling. Here they have seen, actually, God is at work. God, of course, the creator of all the earth, all humanity rebelled. But right back at the beginning, do you remember those promises to Abraham? It was always that there would be blessing to all the earth. And now, that promise is reaching fulfillment. That in Jesus, through this message about him, all people have full access to forgiveness and kingdom membership immediately as they repent and believe in Jesus. Now, it may well be some here haven't realized this truth that Jesus is for everyone. Or maybe you've heard that, but you don't really believe that you can turn to Christ unless you first become someone or something else. Maybe you think your background actually excludes you. and That's somehow got to be dealt with before you come to Jesus. Or you think your present situation counts you out. No. Whoever you are, come as you are to Jesus. Immediately, you'll be in the kingdom, enjoying all its blessings. Of course, Jesus doesn't leave us where we are, especially where that is in sin. As we repent and believe, Jesus will change us more and more to be the people he wants us to be. But simply repent and believe, and life is yours. Now, most of us here, I know, are familiar with this glorious truth that Jesus is for everyone. Maybe too familiar in the sense that we've nodded along all through the service as we've heard it. We know that's true. We agree with it. But the message of Acts really is this is such a momentous truth that if it doesn't shape and drive the way that you live or who you eat with, then you may well not really understand. Could it even be that, to use Peter's language here, that we are standing in God's way? So we're meant to be asking, well, I do believe this, so what difference should it make if I really believed it? Well, let's look on. There's more of God's work to see in this passage. We've focused on one aspect so far, God's work in Gentiles like Cornelius. But we're now going to see more of God's work in Peter. Notice how here in chapter 11, it's Peter recounting the story, and he speaks of his experience. So he doesn't start with Cornelius, but with himself. Now, we know from the previous chapter, this started at around noon, that Peter was hungry. So the issue was, well, what is Peter going to eat? So Peter picks up the story here in verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. Who'd have thought it? If God was going to give you a vision, I don't know what you'd hope to see in that vision, but for Peter, it was a bunch of animals. And it turns out it's going to be an interactive vision for Peter. Look at verse 7. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter is adamant. He's going to have none of this. Why not? 
Well, it's not simply on account of Peter's own personal food preferences or even his personal prejudices. Notice the language here of what is common or unclean. That is, Peter has in mind the Old Testament regulations. For example, in Deuteronomy 14, which Isabel read so well for us earlier. Keep a finger here in Acts 11. Let's take a quick look at that again in page 189. Deuteronomy chapter 14, page 189. So again, if you look over these first 20 verses, you can see there is a very long list of animals which faithful Jews and Israelites were not to eat. Why weren't they to eat them? Well, what does it say? Look at the end of verse 7. They are unclean for you. Or verse 10, end of that, unclean for you. Or look down to the middle of verse 19. Again, unclean for you. So the reason given to avoid these animals is not hygiene, all that is necessarily wrong, it seems, for anyone at any time to eat these as foods. Rather, the animals are unclean, Moses said, God says, for you. Well, obvious question, who are the you that is being spoken to here? Well, look back to the start of Deuteronomy 14, the opening verses. You are the sons of the Lord your God. Or verse 2, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now Deuteronomy describes a really exciting stage in the Bible story. There was those promises to Abraham long ago, but God's people have grown to a large number and God has just rescued them out of Egypt. They are now soon to enter the promised land. And they are to be a holy people. That is set apart for God, even to be his treasured possession. Even they were to be the sons of the Lord their God. That is God's family. And here in Deuteronomy, we're learning that what marks out God's family, well, they need to live distinctively. And here, in particular, they are to eat distinctively from the people around them. And just think of the effect that will have. Imagine the Israelites were invited to dinner. They ask what's on the menu. Rock badger. Therefore, they can't go. I have no idea what a rock badger is, but they couldn't eat it. So do you see what made the difference? It meant a difference in who they could relate to because of these regulations. We'll turn back to Acts. And Peter has had to realize that's what's changed. So what's made the difference? Well, it's obvious in Acts, it's Jesus, his death and resurrection. The coming of God's king has moved God's plans forward. We are now at an even more exciting stage of the Bible's story. Now, all peoples in all the world are more than welcome to come to God directly through Jesus. And if they do, then, picking up on the language repeatedly in this chapter, they are family. Sons of God, brothers and sisters. Now this family is still meant to stand out from the world around them. But not so much in what they eat. The distinguishing mark will be repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. So as we do that, of course, we commit our allegiance to Jesus. We live the way he wants us to. That will be very different to the world around us. Just not in what we eat. Well, what then should follow? 
Well, Peter now realizes he was to make no distinction. Verse 12, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. What a change for Peter, the change of a lifetime. He would now enter any house, including for this first time, a house like that of Cornelius, the centurion, the Gentile. And when he got there, we saw this last time, you might remember back in chapter 10, verse 34, the first thing Peter said was, truly I understand, God shows no partiality. And then it's our passage today that has showed Peter really gets it. Jews and Gentiles, as believers, do stand together before God. The wonder of God's plan. This is what God is doing, this side of Jesus. Hence that question from Peter, verse 17. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? The question, of course, answers itself. Of course it wasn't for Peter to get in the way. Peter, get out of the way. He needed to, if you like, get with the program, God's program. And of course, Luke has recorded this in Acts for our benefit. This is an apostle, Peter. We are to learn from his words and actions. This is authoritative. We too are to make no distinction. Again, this might be familiar. This is not brand new to many of us. But the question is, what must it look like in practice? So let's think then, what about our eating habits? And again, not so much what we eat, but rather who we eat with. Let's think first of eating with outsiders. So again, in the previous chapter, the issue at the beginning was, here's Cornelius, the Gentile. He needed to hear the good news about Jesus. But because Peter wouldn't eat certain foods, in practice that meant he wouldn't go to eat with Cornelius where he was. A little earlier in his gospel, Luke tells us how Jesus was once invited to a great feast. The guest list was dubious, to say the least. But Jesus went. The disciples, as ever, had to tag along. And they all very much enjoyed the hospitality. But again, there was grumbling from the religious leaders. They turned on Peter and the disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Do you remember Jesus' response? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now today, in general, we don't discriminate in the same way that Peter did. For us, that Jew-Gentile is not really the issue. And we will say, Jesus is for all. But in practice, does the way that we interact with others through the week demonstrate that we believe this? What are the factors that shape who we choose to spend our time with? Is it simply who we are comfortable with, those we're familiar with, those who are fun. If that is what always decides who we spend time with, who we eat with, we will inevitably exclude from our lives people who are different from us. London is the most amazing place for the gospel. God has brought all kinds of people to this city. God has put all around this city people who know the gospel, the good news about Jesus, people like us. 
And he's put there for the people that know the gospel in close physical proximity with a whole range of very different people. And yet here in London, although people often look out on this vast range of people they talk about, there's often little genuine crossover, isn't there, between the different groups, the different nationalities, those of different backgrounds, the different socioeconomic groups, the different personalities. So again, there looks to be a massive range of people, but they're just going past each other. They're not speaking to one another. They're not really mixing. If you like, they don't eat together. Now, of course, we can't interact meaningfully with 10 million people in London. And don't take this, again, to say that friends aren't important. They're a gift from God to enjoy and to savour. And yet maybe this is the question worth asking ourselves. If someone over time looked at the way that we try to relate with different sort of people, and they took from that who the gospel is for, what would they conclude? Later in Luke's gospel, Jesus tells a parable where the gospel offer is pictured as an invitation to a great banquet. Do you remember the first recipients of that invitation, the people you'd expect to go to the party, well, they decline with lame excuses. But in response, the master gives this instruction, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Even, he went on, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. Isn't this wonderful? Our God is passionately committed for the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. That is people just like us. People who had nothing to offer. They didn't deserve anything. But God welcomed us into the kingdom. And in response, therefore, what should we do now? Well, again, in that section of Luke's gospel, Jesus says to us, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. So the question again, who do we eat with? Eating with outsiders. And then we also need to think about eating with the family. It's striking, isn't it? While Jesus was still on earth, Approaching his death, who did he choose to spend his last moments of freedom with as those events were fast moving towards the cross? Well, he had a meal with his disciples. And what's more, do you remember, he told those disciples to remember the importance of his death by eating more meals together like this. And so that's why now and again, here as a church family, we share the Lord's Supper. Now, we do that for lots of reasons so that we'll remember Jesus' death to feed on Christ, but also to do it together. The Lord's Supper is not my personal quiet time of spiritual reflection with God. It's for others. It's so that I can look around and see the family that God has given me. Because any who come to know and trust in the Lord Jesus are welcome to this meal, this corporate gathering. So as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we also, although of course we meditate personally and spiritually, we look around. We see who God has given to us. And we rejoice. What a huge range of different people. 
And so then that Lord's Supper, as we partake, trains us for all of life. This is how I am to relate to those who, like me, are in Christ. And it also prepares us for the future because the Lord's Supper doesn't only look back to Jesus' death. It's also a foretaste, an anticipation. You no doubt know this evening there is a state reception in Buckingham Palace for some of the most important people in the world. And I take it you, like me, weren't invited. Don't worry about that. There is a far better party to come. And we have a seat at the King's Banquet for that glorious day when, again, as Jesus put it in Luke's Gospel, people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Did you notice last week how in Peter's sermon to Cornelius, he highlighted one thing that the risen Jesus did when he appeared to his, disciples, his apostles? Well, do you remember? Look back to chapter 10, verse 14. Peter says, But God raised Jesus on the third day and caused him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Just a glimpse there of the spectacular future that awaits all God's people. We'll be eating and drinking at a family feast, a great banquet with our Lord and saviour and therefore surely when it comes to our church family today even here at the 4 p.m who do we eat with we're thinking does it end up in practice only ever being maybe a subset of our congregation the people like me or does our excitement about what god is doing about the future in store that even in our congregation, once in a while, we deliberately choose to get out of our comfort zone, to share our lives with brothers and sisters, to get to know who else God is drawing to himself, and certainly to be welcoming them and not excluding them in any way. But again, this will also have implications beyond Sunday, maybe at school, or at work, have we ever been slow to eat or to be seen to spend time with another believer because maybe of how others would perceive that? Or can others see that our strongest connection on earth is with those, all of those, with whom we will spend eternity? Because maybe, I wonder, have you ever had the experience that Maybe you talked to a colleague or a school friend. You mentioned who came over to your place for a meal last night or who you had lunch with. And their response was a furrowed, confused look and said, well, why did you eat with them? To which you could say, because they're family. God is at work. In Gentiles also. That is in all sorts of people from every nation. And the good news of Christ has reached them and needs to continue to do that. But for that to happen, God is also at work in believers like us. So that quite simply, we stop getting in the way. And that is a proactive thing, to look around us, to see who's there. Towards outsiders, but not only towards outsiders. 
also to see around us all of those who are in Christ, like us, to live together, to eat together, without making distinction. I'll lead us in a prayer. Father, we do so praise you that because of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection, this good news of peace with you is now for all. Would we be so convinced of this that it does shape the way that we relate to all those around us? For Jesus' sake. Amen.